Greetings, all you dirty heathens. This is Hyperborean Radio. I'm Celtic God. With me today is the Lord Keeper, as usual. Um, if you haven't noticed by the title of the podcast, please turn off the podcast now and just go away. If, on the other hand, you did notice the title, Pop Paganism, congratulations. Yay, you're a winner. Before we really get going, um, we want to do some plugs because we kind of have to do some plugs. So I'm going to let the lore keeper hand, handle that part of it. Yes, I'd like to, first of all, thank some of our supporters, including Tony and Rhiannon, as well as those that help us with various projects such as Aethelwolf, Alex, and the Dread Pirate McThunder. And I'd like to just say that if anybody would like to help support this podcast and the YouTube and the Telegram and the blog and all the work we do, you can support us on Buy Me a Coffee under Hyperborean Radio. And you can also support us on a GoFundMe. The links will be in the description in our link tree. And that's if you'd like to keep going. Just one or two bucks. Uh, anything, really anything really helps. So... With that, that's the plugs, and uh, back to the scheduled programming. So what is pop paganism? It's a, uh, it's a term that we came up with, basically to help ourselves deal with all the nonsense that's out there. So what is pop paganism? Um, well, one, one aspect of it, because actually, it's a, it's a, let's use the word diverse. It's a rather diverse subject, but you have experts out there that will use movie and comic book references in relation to lore when they're doing serious lore videos. And I'm not talking about people that's doing a movie review of the latest Marvel movie or of a Hellboy movie. What I'm talking about is people that will be doing a lore video about Thor using the, the edits as sources because that's what everybody does. And then conflating it with the movies and stating things like um, Loki is Thor's brother. Loki is Odin's son. Thor casts lightning off from his hammer. Or that Lou and Nawada are dark elves. Um, that one, by the way, comes from Hellboy, the, the, the whole dark elf thing. This is one aspect of pop paganism. And if you, if you speak against it and the quote-unquote pagan spheres, everybody jumps jumps on your back. You don't know what you're talking about. So-and-so, listen to this expert and that expert, and, and so on. And it's, it's just pop paganism. Well, and here's the thing is it's nothing new. Because, like, uh, people will confuse the Nibelungen lied, which, yes, has some similarities to, like, the Siegfried and the Volsung Saga. Sigurd, I think, is the name in the Scandinavian versions. But... Uh, what they usually are comparing it to is actually Wagner's operas, which are actually mostly based on Norse uh, Norse mythology and stuff like that, as opposed to German mythology. Even though it carries the name in reference to the Nibelungenlied, it's not a valid thing. And one of the dead giveaways is someone was someone was using this as if it was the Nibelungenlied. They were talking about Freya talking to the Rhine maidens. The Rhine maidens were made up by Wagner for his operas. Freya does not appear in the Nibelungenlied. And this is not to shit all over the um, um, Wagner, for instance. It is not to shit all over Shakespeare or the Marvel comics or the Hellboy comics. It's not to shit all over that. 
But you do have experts, supposed experts out there, and they're really good at one thing, saying something as if it's matter of fact. So then people that don't know any better, they listen to these and they're like, ah, yes. And then you have other people that actually know the lore will start discussing the lore and then they're they're all sorts of confused. Well, this YouTube personality that has 1.2 million subs said that Thor is blonde and casts lightning from from Milner, or that whatever the the thing was uh, wrong. Uh, I can't remember the names. I'm shit with names, but uh, the characters that Wagner made up, and it's it's not that he just made them up, pulled them completely out of his ass. I mean, he did, but he did it for a reason, and it wasn't malicious. Um, Shakespeare, King of the Fairies is not King of the Fairies. Oberon. Oberon isn't a thing, people. At least not in the way presented in Midsummer Night's Dream. Well, Oberon and Titania are now considered the king of the fae and the queen of the fae. They actually don't originate from fairy lore. At least everybody's best guess for their origins because they're not really Celtic. Uh, the best guess for Oberon is he comes from French lore, which is, is himself borrowed from... Alberic, which is like the king of the elves, king of the dwarves or whatever, over in German lore. And then you have Titania is considered a corruption of the word Diana, which was not uncommon. And it might actually be covering up another figure because the amount of goddesses that were compared to Diana or Venus is rather large because of the Interpretario Romano. And then that's also gets into the secondary version of pop paganism because there's two core oh, versions because i was gonna go on about shakespeare some more oh we can go back to shakespeare but i want to get the second version of because there's the pop paganism that is derived from the pop culture which is not new pop culture itself is ever changing but Actually, I'd say it's more valid yeah it's it's more valid but then there's the other version which is the repeated mistakes that people like so then they just run with it one of the biggest pet peeves I have is when I have to basically peep, beat people off with a stick when they try to say holla is the same as frig. And I even figured out where that comes from. Newsflash, it's a it's the witch holda. It's not frig holda. It is the witch holda. It's because of those freaking S's that look like F's. And this is just something that's been repeated over and over and over again and now people buy it even though they don't have an ounce of evidence to back it up when they bring it up and this is part of the problem is everyone comes in not everyone but most people come into paganism with a a desire to learn a lot of people don't have time to put a crud ton of research into stuff or the desire which or is the fair. desire which is fair so then they just ask around and they learn from people so you have which the, is the way it should actually which is the way it should actually be done. Actually, the research thing is just a result of the fact that so many things have even in the last hundred years, so many traditions have died off. I mean, Easter's practically dead. They're trying to get rid of Halloween. And that's just here in America. I have no idea how bad it over is over in Europe. But that's how it's supposed to be. So I'm not vilifying people for doing that. My annoyance comes from people who are repeating mistakes and don't correct themselves like I was in a group when I was first starting paganism someone who was held in a higher position considered more knowledgeable was using the genealogies from the Marvel universe and people didn't correct them and they probably didn't know yeah 
they probably didn't know. I don't view that as um, malevolent. I view it as an honest mistake. But that is so common that it requires a, a, a desire for people to actually learn. And it requires a reset because one of the biggest mistakes is we're not at the point where we can just let this flow like a folk culture should. The way paganism should be is it should just be part of the culture, part of the people. But unfortunately, we're not at that point. And there are so many mistakes and so many misconceptions and so many little things that have gone around over and over again. And people don't question it. Well, and to me, this is the the largest um, culprit, the Indo-European hypothesis. It's based on nothing. If you actually look into the hypothesis hypothesis itself, and yes, that's what it is. It's not a theory. Because a theory has some basis on on something solid. So it hasn't even passed the hypothesis stage. But people will repeat it, even though even some of the people that are like, they seriously question it. They're like, but what does Hinduism have to do? Because that's where it always ends up going is the Hindu gods and the, the European gods are exactly the same. The European gods are aspects of the Hindu gods. And there's people that's like, Man, something just doesn't sit right with this, but they will repeat it just like the people that they learn from because there's so many people that will say this over and over and over again. And here we are saying, yeah, it's not actually a thing. It's actually rather easy to disprove. We've shown this proof to people, and yet the concept is so popular they insist on repeating it. Why? Because so many other people say it because it's pop. It's a popular statement. You go into most groups in, on the internet and you s- just say the word Indo-European and hooray. And all of a sudden you're getting all kinds of congratulations. It's a popular statement. Doesn't make it a true statement. Well, and this is the thing is for the Indo-European hypothesis to be true, which first of all, it's built on very shaky ground and very poor scholarship. It actually requires there to be no other logical explanation. That, that That's because it's, it's such a stretch to reconstruct a complete language from so long ago that we have no written record of it. No proof that it even ever existed. No proof that it ever even existed. No proof that this isn't all just a giant coincidence. That you have to have no other possible logical explanation. And one dead giveaway that that's not the case is the more likely solution, especially with how the words are broken up, is very simple. Slow diffusion as cultures interact. Whether through war or trade or just proximity. Yes. So I want to take a moment in the middle of this conversation to uh, state to people, I'm sure you can hear me talking in the background when the Lord Keeper is speaking, and sometimes you can hear him speaking in the background when, when I'm speaking. That is because we have one mic Our next goal is to get a second mic. Please help us out by uh, directly supporting us through GoFundMe, Buy Me a Coffee, I think the other one is. Uh, It's in the the, the link tree, or directly on Anchor. Those are three ways that you can directly uh, support us, as well as just by listening. Because thanks to Anchor FM, which you have already listened to one commercial, um, yeah, we get pennies for people listening. And you get the enjoyment of our wonderful voices and edu- and some edumacation. But um, I forgot what we was <laughs> talking about now, exactly what part we was on. Um, 
But um, okay, I got it. But yes, the um, the fact remains that, and through many circles, if no, at at the very least, nobody's going to argue against you when you bring up Indo-European anything. They'll be like, oh, yay. And here's the other thing, too, is it's kind of like the social justice sphere, sphere, the lefty sphere. None of them actually believe what they're saying, but they will continue to repeat it because the crowd supports them. And they think that everybody else in the crowd believes it, but nobody in the crowd believes it and nobody will speak out against it because the crowd continues to repeat it, even though nobody believes it. Most people don't even actually like it. It is a popular sentiment, and so they go with the flow. Uh, and we're not the only ones, fortunately, we're not the only ones fighting fighting this aspect of it. There are other people out there, but to be honest, they're far and few between. And, um, yeah, it's just the way that it is. And if you really do believe in this uh, hypothesis, get out of your circle Get out of the your your social circle that you're in that reinforces this notion, and start looking around on your own. Don't use the sources that they they themselves actually push to you because these are uh, I call them op eds because that's exactly what they're doing. It's like listening to a critic about a movie without ever actually watching the movie yourself. If the person is pro Marvel, for instance, Marvel cannot put out a garbage movie. Uh, they will love, uh, what was that crappy one with Brie Larson, uh, Captain Marvel. They they will espouse all the wonders of the movie Captain Marvel and how great and daring and cutting edge it was. However, there's a huge section that of people that did not like that movie. So just break out of your circle and you'll find we are not the only ones actually speaking out against the fallacy because that's what it is. I can link... English, which is a a uh, uh, European language, to Japanese. I can link it to um, some of the South American uh, native dialects. So not just Spanish, because yes, I understand Spanish is a European language. But you can, if you try hard enough, you can link anything to any anything that you really want. So that's why we refer to all that stuff as pop paganism. Well, it's also this idea of pantheon. And I understand, like, as a starting point, pantheons are necessary. Most people can't just be there. But, like, the Norse pantheon does not technically exist. The Slavic pantheon does not technically exist. The Greek pantheon, probably the most developed and detailed of the quote-unquote pantheons, doesn't exist. What it is is it's a combination of local god cults, and all of these pantheons are a result of these cults interacting long enough and an oral and literary tradition starting around them. It's sort of like, uh, to use an example, you know how in like Victorian, like in like steampunk or like fantasy movies set in like the Victorian era, they inevitably have characters like Tesla and Jack the Ripper Ripper and Edison and all of these historical figures that existed in that time period, both real and, as well as imaginary, because they'll throw in the Wolfman, they'll throw in Frankenstein, they'll throw in Dracula, they'll throw in all these things. And you see this in like films like Penny Dreadful or The Venture Brothers. They'll take these historical characters and they'll cast them in this story, even if they had no interaction whatsoever with these various figures. It's because they're big names. And then they end up interacting even if they never met in real life. And then now let's expand on this a little bit more. 
you have somebody that's interested in history, but for whatever reason, they they don't actually go and look at the history itself. They don't look up at the old news. They hold. Let's just say they just don't hold any interest in that. They're more interested in stories. How long before I don't know Edison is Edison's history actually gets incorporated into the steampunk uh, scenario? Like, um, well, what's one of those shows? It's not really steampunk, but Penny Dreadful or Victor Frankenstein becomes a real historic character. And he, I mean, it's already to that point. Some people are debating, was he actually based on a real historic character? Some people say yes, some people say no. But if you, for the people that don't go and look into these, um, you know, next thing you know, Doc Holliday is, people will be saying Doc Holliday was running around in France during a time period where he wasn't even alive, doing things that he never even did. Because they see the story so much. And all it takes is just for a group of people to start saying, yes, this is true. And then to, uh, other people just find it interesting. They start repeating it. Some other people that don't know better pick it up. And they're like, oh, yes, yes, I know this is true because all these other people are saying it. That's effectively what has happened with the Indo-European hypothesis. Well, and then there's the... <clears throat> Then there's the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That's probably one of the most obvious examples. They took all these famous literary and mythic characters and they put them all on one badass crime fighting team. The movie is apparently terrible. I haven't had a chance to dig too far into the comic book. But it's really, really common. It's just what we do. We want to see. It's like the equivalent of having our heroes on something. So when you do a film set in the time period that Teddy Roosevelt exists, you want like at least a cameo of Teddy Roosevelt. Like people want that. And that's just fictional characters. Now let's go with spiritual gods. And people will talk about how a god is a solitary deity because it doesn't interact with most gods in their stories. That's most myths, actually. If you actually pay attention, most myths, especially if humans are involved and not just like the drama between the gods, there's one god typically that shows up directly interacting with people. Maybe two. Maybe two. And that's usually if they're like specifically trying to like screw the other one over. Like uh, Frigg and Odin and their foster kids or Athena and Arachne. It's actually far more common for there to be really only one or two gods in this drama or story or myth or legend or what fairy tale or whatever plays out. That's just how this works. It's not really that complicated. And then people point out, well, this story of, what was it, Astarte, Inanna, whatever, is similar to this story with Aphrodite and Adonis. Now, the way people might go about that is saying they're the same or they're just recast. People like the story, but nobody knows who the frick Inanna is in, like, central Greece, so you end up with Aphrodite taking the role. doesn't mean they're the same gods. You know, it's like doing a remake of, like, a Japanese film, but resetting it into America with American characters. And they've even done this, like, uh, The Matrix, a film everybody likes. It took a lot from um, Ghost in the Shell, which is a Japanese tale, which itself, I think, took from Blade Runner... So it's, there's this back and forth. But, you know, the main character of Ghost in the Shell, Neo from The Matrix, and, you know, the main character in Blade Runner are not all the same character. But they did influence each other.
Right. And the difference now is being that it's on a global scale. Yes. Where before, much less so. And it doesn't mean, because we might have actually taking, taken aspects of certain tales from other people's. As a matter of fact, that's almost a certainty, but you can kind of see where these tales are distinctly different from the just European tales. Because all of a sudden, they get odd, they get weird, uh, disjointed, they don't quite make any sense because we're not good at telling other people's stories. That's just the way that it is. We're great at telling our own stories. We kind of suck at telling other people's stories. If you want an example of this, find a kung fu action film filmed in America by, say, a white person. It's going to suck compared to a kung fu, kung fu action film filmed in China by Chinese people for Chinese people. Uh, uh, there is telltales there. So don't, don't let that once don't be very careful about picking up a singular statement and running off into the field with it, being like, ah, see these guys, they support the Indo-European theory because they said there are some story overlaps. No, no, no. Well, and just because I know some people get kind of ticked off, the same is true the other way around. The Japanese are, well, that's, that's debatable with how bad our storytelling is nowadays, but in a natural, healthy setting, we would be far better at telling a story of knights in a medieval fantasy land than the Japanese are at telling that story. Well, to be honest, even as bad as we've gotten because of um, producers and, and corporate pressure, we still do those stories better than the Japanese do. The Japanese, they try really hard, but even under the confi confines that we FCC rules that we have to do things by now, yeah, we still actually do better than the Japanese do. And bless their hearts, they try. At, at least they're actually trying, and they're not trying to um, make us look bad like our own freaking people are doing, again, because of FCC rules. And why do the, the Japanese have more edgy, I guess, more honest storytelling? It's probably because they don't have to deal with our FCC. Yeah, precisely. And, and that's kind of the whole thing is our people love stories. And it's why... Like Clash of the Titans, where Hades is this badass, gothic, you know, doesn't like people god. That's not really Hades. Hades is pretty much just, he's probably one of the most tame. Or Hades, for those people that's out there. It's Hades, not Hades. Well, technically speaking, by, by that oh. definition, it, no one pronounces any Greek god name correctly because we're using the anglicized versions of their names. But Hades is uh, the is actually just a pretty chill god. Like, compared to his brothers, he, he's practically the nicest one by far. I mean, he'll if you go after his wife or you wrong him, I mean, he's not going to let that stand. But by and large, he's pretty darn chill. He's not, you know, the villain of Hercules with fire coming out of his hair. You know, Hades is not a place of eternal torment or anything like that. It's It's really not how that works. And it's... All of these various things have been shifted. It's like how Heracles is the original name for Hercules. And why is he called Heracles? Because he was trying to get Hera off his back. And now he's known as Hercules in the Greek predominantly because of A, the Roman name is more popular. But B, a Disney movie, which got a lot of things wrong, including some random black muses. But whatever, that's the least of the problems really in that film. But 
Hercules is the son of Zeus and Hera. And now a lot of people think that. That is not the case at all. In fact, Hera freaking hated Hercules. That's why he even had to do his labors. Is She basically brain put like a curse on him and he straight up killed his family because of it. Which is why he then did his 12 labors. Well, <clears throat> and so is there a problem with pop paganism? Um, in and of itself, no. But when damaging ideas are pushed forward, it can become, it can actually become an issue when it starts holding us back. So how can you tell the difference between pop paganism and quote unquote real paganism? Does it actually uplift you? Or is it just mental masturbation? This is the uncensored. I don't have to hold myself back. So yes, I said the word masturbation again. Why? Because I can. But a lot of this pop, um, th this pop paganism, effectively, that's, that's what it is. They're sitting around having mental circle jerks with each other, and nobody's life is getting any better. They're not getting inspired to actually get up and do something like, I don't know. What do you suppose is better for venerating? Let, let's go with, with Heracles. To venerate Heracles, the strong man. Do I sit down with a sheet and some crayon lines and a, a fancy stone bowl and some incense and I'll, I'll even set some rocks around it, some big heavy rocks around to, to hold it down And because Heracles is strong so I got to have symbols of strength so I'll even put some meat there and I burn incense and I sing a song and I dance a little dance or is a better way to venerate Heracles to lift the damn rocks? Stack them up, move them around, do something that builds my physical strength and eat the damn meat. Which one do you think is actually better for you? The, the first idea where you're just sitting down, singing a song, dancing a dance and drawing pretty, pretty lines and burning some incense or actually lifting the damn rocks and eating the meat. A very good example of this would be like Hercules and the Spartans. Because the Spartans considered themselves descended of Hercules. That's one of the reasons they were so warlike is they were continuing Hercules. And actually, in some cases, I think it's implied they're trying to make up similar to how Hercules did with his um, his labors mm -hmm. was to make up for what he did to his family. Because because of Hera's thing, he's a kinslayer. That, that's not something easily forgiven, especially ones that it there's no good reason for it. The important thing is what it is that he did. He was a doer. The Spartans were doers. They didn't sit around having mental circle jerks with each other about the esoteric meaning of Heracles' muscles and, and what these muscles might have represented. And we're going to show reverence to Heracles by talking about the rock. No, instead we're going to pick up the rock. We're going to... He, he was... Heracles, a fantastic fighter. It's in it's in his stories. If nothing else, the freaking lion. I, I think that he actually fought lots and lots of things if you go through the story. So he's a fighter. So what's the other thing that they do? We will learn how to fight, and we will learn how to fight as well as we can. Well, we don't have any hydras to, to kill. We don't have any impervious lions to kill. So we will war. War is how we will show our strength, our dedication to our hero Heracles. They didn't sit around in temples discussing the meaning of Heracles' pubic hair. They, they just, they, no. And that's how you can tell what the difference between just 
pop paganism and real paganism. Does the real paganism, are you actually doing a real thing? Or are you talking about doing a real thing? And yes, I am aware of the irony here because we are talking. But in this case, this is more like philosophy class, I guess. Which is also, it's a tried and true pagan thing all across Europe. It wasn't just Greek. Uh, the, the Celts did it. The Scandinavians did it. The Germanics did it. The Iberians did it. Everybody basically had philosophy classes. So we're, we're debating philosophy, I guess, at the moment. So pop paganism is something that it doesn't actually translate into the real world. And then you have paganism where you're actually doing a thing. You're inspired to do a thing. Yes, you tell the stories, but the stories are meant to inspire you to actually do something. Well, I guess you could kind of just to use a cultural example. You have let's go with in American culture, you have the pop culture. So that's like the Marvel movies, uh, Batman, uh, Transformers, whatever's popular, you know, video games, movies, well, comic pop books, pop, pop music. Most of this stuff isn't going to have staying power. Some of it might and then become part of the actual culture. Like uh, Seven Nation Army has effectively become a folk song thanks to some f soccer chants and stuff like that. But by and large, that stuff will fade. But it's, it's so common and it continues and then it almost has a snowball effect. But also that snowball sometimes melts and just dissipates. Then you have the actual culture in America, which is like Paul Bunyan. It's like the Cowboys. It's all of these things that we kind of take for granted and don't notice until we're out of it. Then you have what you could call like the official kind of quote unquote civic culture, which would be comparable to the difference between basically it's whatever the government and like the authorities deem is the culture versus what it actually is. Because according to the authorities in America, we are a multicultural accepting culture that was always okay with all of these things and you shouldn't be complaining about all these things, bigot. And then you have the actual culture, which is typically what people do. And then you have the pop culture, which is, you know, Marvel movies. Just just to keep poking that, especially because we're talking about pop paganism. And one of the biggest culprits is the Thor comic book character. Which really doesn't bother me that much when it inspires somebody. I would rather talk to somebody that really honestly does think... Thor is Loki's brother and they're both the, the children of Odin and Hell is their sibling, but they actually do something and they're open to the other stories. Then somebody that will talk about that nonstop, do absolutely nothing. And when you present them with the real stories, they don't care and will even call them lies. So as far as like the, the movie paganism goes, uh, that version of pop, pop paganism, don't really have a problem with it. It's um, when they close their minds and then they actually don't even do anything. We we go on about the Ragnar wannabes, for instance. It's a, you know what? It was a decent enough show. It inspired people to actually realize, well, there's there's an ethnic component to all of this, and that's kind of cool, and I want to embrace that. Embrace that, and hey. Bravo. Bravo. Yay. People's interested in, in, in our history and our past and who we are as people. And that's great that they was actually inspired by that. My issue is when they don't do anything with it and then they stop there. 
and that they insist that that's what it what it's all about is just it's about the funny haircuts and wearing fur rugs because that's what most of those furs are is, is rugs that you see on like Game of Thrones and uh, the Viking show when they're wearing the furs over there. It's just fur rugs that they got from like Bed Bath and Beyond. But wearing this stuff and looking this way, that's all that it is. No, 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 no. Don't stop there. Is a is I don't begrudge it though because some people that's actually how they became aware, and then they 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 looked and they're like, this is kind of cool. I wonder what it really is, and then they started looking at what it really is, and then they really started lifting weights. They really did start learning how to fight. They really did start learning how to sew. They really did do really things. That's what it's about. Well, yeah, there's a very big difference between someone that just got a edited man bun, a tattoo of a rune, and starts wearing, you know, slightly more punk-like clothes and calls themselves a Viking than someone that, at the very least, used it to better their life instead of just using it as an aesthetic. Like, one of my biggest pet peeves from that Viking show is all the women that call themselves shield maiden, but they don't know the first thing about how to do, well, anything. That's actually why I like the actress that played Lagertha. At least in the early seasons, she actually knew how to fight. I mean, not like sword and like Hema stuff, but she was an actual fighter. That was her job, like pre-acting. Yeah, so pop paganism does have its place. Where it loses its importance is when it becomes everything and a mental circle jerk. And in particular, yes, going We've been kicking the Indo-European hypothesis people in the balls, and we're going to continue to do it because I've looked into it. Because when I first got online, I thought, well, maybe there's something to this. Everybody's talking about it. I wonder what's going on. I think that they're going to a bad place with the whole Hindu thing. But who knows? So I actually looked into it. Not what people were saying about it, but into the Indo-European hypothesis itself. I went to as close to the sources as I could get, not listening to what uh, Billy Bob or Randy Horton or Francine Wannabe said about it. I actually went into the the um, the academic realm of it and found it is based on nothing and real academics are fighting against it. Uh, only loosely because it doesn't really have anything to do with what they're... What, linguistics actually does it's just a bunch of crap that has nothing really to do with linguistics so linguists are fighting against it but they're really only fighting against it because everybody says that's linguistics and all the linguists are like no it's not well it's it's like lord of the rings for instance there are a lot of quote-unquote pagans that are really just lord of the rings fans but they know it's ridiculous to uh Honor Elendil and Gandalf. They Lord of the Rings. They know that they're going to get mocked if they do. That. Yeah, so they just they they realize that like it's a, based a lot on the Norse paganism. So then they just do Norse paganism. But what they're effectively doing is they're using the Lord of the Rings as their sacred tome. And here's the thing: Lord of the Rings is a masterpiece. It is a fantastic work of literature. I like The Hobbit. I despise the Hobbit movies, and no one can convince me otherwise. But The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, these are not religious texts. I mean, I did a whole video once on surrogate mythology on how people are using pop culture as a replacement for religion. 
and people actually were arguing with me that the Lord of the Rings is a valid spiritual text. Yeah. And there's some people that will make that argument and I will say that they're, um, they're insane, but we, we ourselves will use pop culture references. Why do we do that? Well, you guys are just as bad as these other people. No, no, no. And if you actually listened, you would have heard, heard us or me at least definitely saying it's not necessarily bad. What is done with it? So why do we ourselves use pop culture references? One of the ones that we use the most commonly is Doctor Who. Uh, because we both know Doctor Who. There's all kinds of ethnic elements to it. It's the feel of it, the the approach in general with uh, a specific set of doctors. But we do it so that people can, they, they get that both the mental and the emotional reference that they can then apply to this other concept that we're trying to actually tell them about. So pop culture does have its place, but it's, it's a, it's a stepping stone. It's a, it's a tool to get to where you're actually going. And it could even be used as a magnifying glass to show what it is. That's actually there because pop culture is popular. Most people know what, what it is. So if it's an example that you can use, it's fair enough. But the whole idea is to make that transition into actually doing doing something. Like um, paganism, the wild ways. I, I actually prefer the wild ways if I have to use a name. The best name is actually life. It's called being alive, but and it's an approach. The pop culture can be used to highlight some of the ideas of, oh, hey, you should be brave. Here's a great example of somebody showing real courage. Oh, you want to talk about fury. This is what fury really is. Everybody thinks fury is this thing over here. Issue a couple pop culture references. But no, if you want to know what fury really is, look at this example. It is utterly terrifying. Imagine having to face this and the person never so much as raises his voice. And it is utterly terrifying. It is just fury brimming out and using a pop uh, pop culture a pop pop culture reference to highlight this to show it well and that's sort of like people that think a berserker was either a mushroom addicted person or somebody that i don't know was having a temper tantrum like it's one of the reasons that like for the longest time like i used a pretty generic uh avatar name it was because of one simple reason is I didn't want to be another one of those people going by Thor Thundercock or something. Yeah. It's it's first of all, something I've noticed is because one of the other sort of pop paganisms, and this comes from the 1940s, is people will take not even what the Volkish movement was studying because the Volkish movement actually did some good research. They'll take what the NS big leagues liked. And that is what they'll base it off of. And this is another form of pop paganism because they're not doing actual research. What they're doing is they're just, these people had it figured out and then they just use that. And they didn't, they were flawed individuals. Like, I don't think that the way I do paganism, the way that I view it is the only way it can be done. I guess the way I put it is I know that there's a lot of things I don't know, but I know enough to know when something is typically nonsensical. Well, in many ways, what it is is, a shared worldview with 10,000 stories, not one story 
with 10,000 worldviews. Because that's what Christianity has. They have one story. 10,000 different ways to view it uh, or more because there's all these churches of one. None of them actually, or almost none of them, use the actual story that they share in common. Us, on the other hand, we have a shared view and 10,000 stories to explain that one view, which is, again, makes pop culture, the, the pop culture stories, what it is that people like. Because in, in the end, a lot of these writings that we have, that's what they wrote down was the most popular stories. The Odyssey, for instance. Who was it that wrote that? Was it Homer? When Homer wrote that down, he even explains that he took the most popular tellings of it and wrote it down so that they wouldn't be forgotten. So it's pop culture. So pop culture itself is valid. The question is, is what is being done with it? What purpose is it serving? Well, and Homer himself was telling an oral version, and I'm not sure if he wrote it down or if it was after that. I really don't know. I do know that Homer has actually entered into such a legendary space that there's actual de de depictions of him reaching apotheosis, basically getting godhood because of what he was and what how he's already entered a mythic status. And the fun fact that a lot of people don't know is that the Odyssey was actually the middle portion of a trilogy originally. You had the Iliad, and then you had the Odyssey, and then you had the third one, which we have snippets and references to. Uh, which is why there's occasionally like some artistic depictions from it, but the actual book is lost. And that's the other thing is we don't have a complete mythology. This is true, but we never would have had a complete mythology. Even if we had every written record from that time period, it still wouldn't be complete. And I think that's partly where people get kind of hung up. And that's why at the beginning we said pop paganism is not inherently bad. It's not inherently bad that young Hyperborean boys are seeing one of their gods as an action hero. What they're doing with him now and making him look like a buffoon, that's a bit of a different category. But it's not inherently bad. And it's something that I do think is a good thing, is to get that out there. But then you also have stuff like Heimdallers, who is simply put, not black. Heimdaller is not supposed to be black by any stretch of the imagination. If we can actually find a way to sort of correct that, it's not inherently bad. But the fact that so many pagans are still using that, that sort of pop pagan reference, that is a problem. Because how do we correct it in the general populace if most people who are doing it as their actual spirituality, their actual quote-unquote, for lack of a better term, religion, are still using these pop pagan references? Right. Well, and this is where my issue comes comes into some of the stuff is it's it's not the pop paganism itself. It's when they will argue with you that this is it. This is 100% it and you're wrong because Thor definitely throws lightning. He's the god of thunder and he throws lightning. There's actually no stories of Thor throwing lightning. None none of them that's written down anyways. He's the god of thunder not the god of lightning. So the boom. And actually, in reality, it's that moment just before the boom. That that vacuum, I guess, that's where the real power comes from. And then it explodes out into the into the thunder, that hard crack before you can eat you can feel it before you can even hear it. 
that's Thor's power. It's not the lightning. But when they will argue with it with you over it, or the the Indo-European hypothesis, what is its purpose? What does it? What purpose does it actually serve? Yes, do you have an answer? Oh, I'm gonna say it has no purpose that helps us, but it is getting a lot of people to worship literal Sky Papa. That's literally what they're calling him, is Sky Father. Which was which was my point. What positive purpose does that nonsense serve for us? Because it's popular. I'm defending pop paganism of all things. Why am I defending pop paganism? Ugh, don't make me do this. <laughs> but I am defending pop paganism on one hand, and then pop paganism on the other hand, I'm kicking it in the shins and punching it in the throat. Why? Because the one ser- potentially serves a positive, uh, uh, positive reinforcement of self. Gives you something to imitate, something to aspire to. Something to become. What does the other one do? It encourages you to sit in a freaking lounge chair and read and get masturbated intellectually. Because you can just kind of make things up and kind of spin it and you don't have to actually do anything. And then you can appear all smart because you've learned lots of words and how to conflate ideas. You can conflate the living shit out of ideas and language and words. And you can twist it all up into a fucking useless ass knot. So it's it's useless. I'm even willing to just say, okay, screw it. It's based on a real thing. Now what purpose does it serve? How does this help people? What does it do? Nothing? Does it lead them to another religion? Yeah, yeah. Typically that's, that's what's used for like 99.9% of the time. Or to a singular sky papa. Because it's always going in that freaking direction. So it serves no purpose and it's based on nothing. It's based on a what if, a maybe. It's like a a what if knockoff Marvel episode or comic. It's It doesn't mean anything. Because with modern, modern pop culture, what is it everybody's defending? Canon, right? That's what everybody's complaining about. With these, these movies that's coming out or these remakes is they're breaking canon. Stories matter to us. Uh, way deep down inside, we care. So does Marvel break, does the Marvel Thor and the Marvel Loki and the Marvel Odin, we'll leave Heimdall is out of it. Do those three characters break um, Icelandic canon, the, the canon of the Eddas? Because for the people that didn't know, those are Icelandic tales that's buffered by Norwegian tales. They aren't Norwegian tales that's buffered by Icelandic tales. But uh, does it break canon? Yes. But does it also inspire? Potentially. Some people it does. And it might inspire them to learn the actual canon. The stories matter. They, they just do. And why? Because they inspire you to actually do something, or they should. That's what their purpose is, to inspire you to courage, to inspire you to strength, to inspire you to wisdom, which means understanding, not just raw knowledge. Can you understand things? Can you see through to the truth of things? And then what can you do with it? So knowledge knowledge is good, but in and of itself, it's effectively useless. If you can't use it, it's effectively useless. That's where wisdom comes in. 
Cunning might be another way to describe it, but now we're getting all semantic. But yeah, it's the one inspires, the other does not. So the one pop paganism good, the other pop paganism not so good. Well, and in some cases, I have to just assume that the way these things have been done is malevolent, that it's just malevolent. You can only um, you can only make so many mistakes so many times before I have to wonder if it's incompetence or malevolency. Just to use a common example is King Arthur. They are doing a uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is one of my favorite King Arthur stories. I had to read it a while ago. I loved how they did the Green Knight until I found out who was playing Sir Gawain. Who some people claim is loosely associated with Legends of Cuchulain. I don't really see it, but maybe I'm just missing something. But like the imagery I've seen, the scenes I've watched, it's not that bad. I mean, it's got some scenes that are absolutely insane. I haven't watched the full movie and I refuse to. But they have this random Dravidian playing a mythical British hero. It's a bit odd and it's not a mistake it's not a mistake you don't cast everyone else as white as hyperborean and then have a random dravidian there who is the nephew of king arthur his border the hero of the story actually the hero of the story and have things like reynard show up and the green man and if they followed the lore i'm not sure if they did haven't seen the movie again morgana's showing up but they don't do that i don't think and i know Partially why they decided to do that, at least from my perspective. That's one of the most common things that people will say if you talk to the average person who thinks they're so smart for saying this, is that the King Arthur mythology originates from a random legend of a cup from Iran. Because the Holy Grail is similar to this cup from Iranian mythology. No, it's not. There are so many magical items similar to the Holy Grail and Celtic mythology, it's not even funny. So the idea that this concept arose from a random group of Iranians showing up in England in the Middle Ages is beyond insane. Especially when you see just the sheer amount of pagan elements in these King Arthur myths. But a lot of people will say that because they think it makes them look smart. Like, did you know King Arthur stories actually originate from Iranian myth? They don't, but people will say that. And that is where the, like we said, there's two main forms of pop paganism. There's the stuff that literally arises out of pop culture, whether that's Shakespeare, Wagner, Marvel, reflects our biospirit. It's, it's fiction based on mythology and folklore. Now, on the other hand, you have the opposite, which is far more actually problematic, which is experts that are repeated over and over again, who have no idea what they're talking about. Supposed experts. Because all you have to do is have a cursory knowledge of Celtic myth to know that there's nothing Iranian in the freaking King Arthur mythos. That is an insane accusation. Similar to, like, almost always when you look into pagan elements in European culture, like the Krampus runs or the Kukeri in Bulgaria, they'll try to find a Middle Eastern origin for these things. You don't get much more European and pagan than these traditions. And they're trying to find a way to connect it to frickin', you know, Bethlehem or something. Or Mesoamerica. Oh, yeah. That's when it gets really weird. Like, uh, 
For example, Day of the Dead, really popular in Mexico for obvious reasons. It's gaining popularity over here, even though it's a Mexican holiday. And it's because it's based on Halloween-esque traditions from Europe. Not entirely. There's some some Gibalba Mesoamerican stuff thrown in there too. I'm not going to claim every bit of it is European. It's not. But that's why people are drawn to it is Halloween has been rendered by most into candy and sexy costumes. Mm-hmm. And therefore like the eighth most important holiday. Yeah, one of the least important holidays. In comparison to Dia de los Muertos, which has kept its important components of the ancestors and the spirits of the dead and the nature spirits and all that. Well, and the people telling the stories of why it's important. It's something that's been kind of drilled out of us. So it just becomes horror stories, costumes, and candy. That's not really important, which is why we do what we do is so that people can learn why these, why these holidays are actually important. They really do matter. The costumes are part of it. Uh, the treats, sure, that's part of it. The the horror aspect, yeah, that's part of it. But that's not the part that makes it important. And that's what the, the let, let's go with the real paganism is about. It's, it's about us. Why are we important? What is it about us that makes us important to us? Why should we matter? And, and that's, that's really important. And as far as the, um, what was it? The Green Man? Is that the name of that movie? The Green Knight. The Green Knight. They didn't choose a Dravidian on accident. And they didn't choose a Dravidian because of the Iranian cup myth. They chose a Dravidian because of the Indo-European hypothesis. If you dig around in the whole decision, decision-making part of that movie... That is expressly stated. It's because of the in, uh, the Indo-European hypothesis theory that's out there. And so therefore, since these other stories are elsewhere, it must actually be the Dravidians that influenced the poor, stupid Europeans. And besides that, we got a kind of similar, if you really stretch it, twist it in a knot, and put it in the dark kind of story. And yeah, Dravidians are, are great, and they went and educated the poor stupid barbarians of the north yeah and that's part of the big problem it's like how all those Sikhs were trying to claim they were like the new king arthur and his knights and some nonsense and if you've ever watched a Sikh actually fight like you can find videos on youtube it's like drunk children it's drunk children you know just just go to italy and find some drunk kids I don't know if that's actually a thing, but it's certainly... They par- probably fight better than those <laughs> They probably do. Our young can fight better than some adults. But the um, it's, it's aggravating. And the reason people have this mystical idea of India and the wisdom of Hinduism... It's because the experts say so. That's it. That's experts say so, but everyone that's ever dealt with them directly, like gone to India, who is not just a blind moron, can see that there is nothing there for us. And here's the thing is when someone finds stick figures and starts talking about how it's the death of Balder or they find a statue that's probably clearly a bear and they claim it's a lion head and then try to tie it into an avatar of Vishnu, it's for brand recognition. Because if you say, I found a statue, a a shattered statue of a bear standing on its hind legs in a European cave, it doesn't matter that it's 40,000 years old. 
because it's just a statue of a bear. We see those all the time. But if you find a human with an animal head, now you've got sensationalism. And if you think that archaeologists don't like to do sensationalism, there's an entire film franchise around sensationalizing archaeology. It's called Indiana Jones. All right, and that's about the, the end of our show. So, um, yeah, just keep your eye out for, for pop paganism and understand the difference between the two. Ask yourself, does this actually help our people? Does it inspire people? Does it teach our people things about our fundamental nature that we can that will actually lift us up or is it just mental masturbation leave the mental masturbation behind and and move into really doing things if if you want to venerate thor lift weights if you want to venerate lou learn how to use a use any weapon learn how to use a spear learn how to use a rifle it doesn't freaking matter learn how to fight if you want to venerate the um, the hearth goddess, I guess, learn how to light a fire by hand. That'd be a good one. Uh, learn how to bake. Learn how to actually do something. A healing god, learn how to heal. This is how we venerate our gods. So until uh, next time, I'm just going to leave it at, well, actually, first, before I leave it at anything, I'm going to ask you to support us at least by sharing us around, get people to listen to the podcast. And um, you can support us directly. That would get us a mic a little bit quicker than just listens, but we'll take what we can get. And then, uh, yeah, other than that, don't keep your head down, don't keep your mouth shut, and definitely keep your powder dry because the shit's about to hit the fan. And I will simply say a very short response. There's nothing wrong with liking popular things that have pagan elements, but know what is actually pagan and what is just fanciful sensationalism. Lore Keeper out. Oh, thank you.